There's a story of a rich man uh, who enjoyed collecting rare uh, works of art uh, with his uh, son, uh, including some Picassos. And uh, his son died, uh, sadly, in Vietnam as he sought to save uh, another soldier's life. And months later, there was a knock on the door, and the, the man whose life was, had been rescued in Vietnam presented the grieving father with uh, a painting he'd done. He said, your son was my friend. Uh, I loved him too. He spoke so highly of you as his father. It's not great art, but I painted him one day in the jungle. It's for you. The father loved and treasured the painting of his son. A few years later, he died, and all his works went to auction. And the auction began with a picture of his son. The art critics complained it just wasn't real art. It was a bit naff, really. The auctioneer asked for bids, but nobody responded. He insisted, the son, the son, who'll take the son? Eventually, a frail gentleman, the deceased man's long-term gardener, offered $10. It was all he could afford. Nobody raised the bid, so it was his. With that, the auctioneer laid his gavel down and declared, I'm sorry, the auction is over. Confusion, outrage. What about the real paintings? I'm sorry. The will stipulated that whoever bought that painting would inherit the whole estate, including the other paintings. The man who took the son gets everything. I want to start off this term, this year, this moment by saying this. Listen in. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Today, we're beginning a new season. I love September. I know some people have foreboding, a new term. It's like summer's coming to an end, all that stuff. I love September because I always feel it's a time when it's like we regather again together and we say, what have you got for us? Whether it's new plans ourselves whether it's new plans as a church, whether it's trying to listen to God for what he's saying. Today, God is saying to every single one of us, the son, the son, who'll take the son? Who'll take the son? Because whoever takes the son gets everything. I don't know where you ever stop and say thank you for Jesus. Do you ever do that? Do you ever do that? I mean, you know, from time to time, maybe. I want to challenge you that this should be something we should be doing a lot. That actually every day is meant to be a, a reaffirmation, a re-understanding of that relationship with Jesus. You see, as Ephesians 1 says, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If we know Christ, we are blessed. There was a chap who used to come to this church for a time, and every time you bumped into him, uh, he, he, he moved on to a church up uh, a bit further up in East Anglia. And every time you, you, you said hi to him, he said, and I say, how, to, how are you? A lot of people just say, fine. But he said, I'm blessed and highly favoured. And sometimes it was really annoying. So you think, you know, that sort of person can't possibly be that nice, or that sorted, or that together. Now, whether he felt it or whether not, I think he was speaking out something that was true. That regardless of how I feel, I am blessed and highly favoured. 
So why, if we are blessed, do we so much keep it to ourselves? Why is it that this blessing that is so amazing and so good, do we keep it to ourselves? When we see a dying, broken world around us, do we not realize that we are blessed, not for our own comfort, not to survive, but actually we are blessed to thrive, not just to guarantee a place in heaven, but blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Ever since the beginning of time, humanity has been blessed to be a blessing. Right in the middle of, uh, uh, right at the end of Genesis 1, Adam and Eve are told, you're blessed, you have life, be a blessing. Go and multiply. Go and have sex and, sorry, and multiply, all right? That's what he's did. Go and be a blessing. Abraham, you, you're blessed, your family's blessed, the world is to be blessed by you. That is the multiplication of your life. And then the journey we see with God. God seeks out people whose hearts are open to him, dedicated to him. And it's like he's seeking out people who are dedicated to say, and and they're flawed people the whole way through. You read Joseph, you read Moses, you read Joshua, you read Samuel, you read David, Solomon, the kings and all the chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel. All of them have flaws and are messed up, but it's like God is seeking For people who are saying, I'm blessed and I want to be a blessing. And of course, the greatest blessing we had above all things was Jesus coming, living, dying, rising again. The hinge of history. And at the end of Matthew 28, he said, you've been so blessed that all authority has been given to me to be given to you. Not just that you should chill out for the rest of your life. Not just that you should sit back in that blessing, but you should go. But before that, wait, and you will receive my Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God will fill you and enable you and send you to be my witnesses. For you are indeed a sent people. As he sent out Adam and Eve, as he sent out Abraham, as he sent out people, we are a sent people. Yes, we invite people to come and we like them to come and maybe enjoy this building or, or be in, in, in service or whatever. Ultimately, we are sent. We're sent beyond these walls into a broken world, blessed to be a blessing. For such a time as this, I am being so challenged at the moment about what it means to follow Jesus myself. There's things in my life that still God is working at. There's areas that I've had to be broken at in the last few weeks, literally, in relation to some stuff. I love this passage I came across. I'm, I'm currently been working through 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles. I just got to Ezra. I'm into Nehemiah uh, pretty soon. And as I've read those disastrous times, it strikes me as we are in such disastrous times. And in those times, this wonderful little verse comes up here. It says, 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, the kings who've come and gone, some submitted to God. And then it says this, for the eyes of the Lord range the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to me. For the eyes of the Lord range the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to me. What he's done, he's on the lookout. He's hungry for people who will do anything to pursue his face and to bring glory to his name. There are a vision beyond, if you like, just the mundane of getting through and surviving, but are seeing the bigger thing of what God has for 
his world. You may have seen this building. I was on. I went on all those river cruises. I, I, I used to. I was. I've given a river cruise when I was sixty, which is uh, last year, uh, sixty-one now. Uh, but just a week before my sixty-first birthday, I remembered that I'd been given a, a Virgin Experience thing, which was a, a river trip down the. Uh, you know, from um, uh, where does it start? Well, it starts around about Tabridge. That's it. Tabridge all the way down to Greenwich. All right, and that that one is great. Really good. Fantastic guides who are really hilarious. Who are not paid, but say things like, "Well, if you want to put some money in the uh, in the uh, bu- bu- bucket at the end, we will uh, we will be engaging in research uh, down at the uh, Nelson Pub down the road, you know, whatever like that." So anyhow, it's really great. But you go along. One of the things that's so magnificent is St Paul's Cathedral, isn't it? When you go past it, it's incredible. I heard this story um, when Christopher Wren, who took 35 years to build it, of three builders were asked what they were doing. The first replied, "I'm mixing cement." The second replied, "I'm putting up a wall." The third replied, I'm building a magnificent cathedral to the glory of God. All doing the same task, all seeking to do it. But I bet one of them was more envisioned and more energetic about what they were doing. Pete Gregor said this, 24-7 prayer. The eyes of the Lord are still searching out those willing to live lives above the gunnels of mediocrity, beyond the realms of inevitability. In our cynical age, God is looking for those naive enough to believe that the world can still be changed. Those simple fools whose vision is to live and die for Christ alone. I love that, that sense of he's looking around. And life is so busy. You know, we're going to head back into September. The danger is it's just going to become like any other September in the previous 60 odd years for myself. For some of you, there will be a lot less who are here today. But the point is, is the danger is that our busy, distracted lives are affecting the way that we are with God. And I want to challenge us as a church today to reconnect with a vision of God for our lives. We might look around as well and say, look, today only 6% of the population of London will be in a church. Whatever flavour or style or whatever it will be. We look around and we even read this week in the Times, the Church of England is declining in such a way it won't be a church by 2050. And we can become depressed and despairing. You know what it says in the Bible about the church? It says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we have to hold to that because it's true. And it's been proved to be true over the last 2,000 years that the church has always come alive again. But what God is looking for is people who have such a hunger and a passion for Jesus that he is everything in their lives. He's looking for women and men who know the blessing of God, but will actually seek to bring that blessing to be sent. And over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time just digging some big words that describe the nature, what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And to, if you like, be enriched by words like what it is to be called, what it is to be chosen, what it is to be commissioned, what it is to be connected, what it is to be uh, cared for, all those things. But what do we need before anything else? And this is a word that's become a big word in my heart. And actually, it's been a word on the the heart of many people, actually, in this nation. Uh, It's like God is is bringing this word to be such an important word for us. And it's the word consecration. The word consecration. The word consecration is defined as this. The act of dedicating yourself to the service and worship of God 
to make holy or dedicate to a higher purpose. And we are called to live consecrated lives every day of our life. It's not just for a a one-off, you know, a little buzz of excitement or a big service. Some people, lots of people dressed up and and consecrated. Those are the things that often come to mind. If you put the word consecration in Google, funnily enough, you get lots and lots and lots of bishops with hats on and all that stuff. And somehow it's got caught up in being somehow religious with consecrated, you know, sort of thing. But actually, the the raw truth of it is it's about freshly dedicating ourselves to the service and worship of God. The daily consecration of ourselves. The Bible is packed with consecration in different ways. It talks in the Old Testament about consecration in the tabernacle in Leviticus. Solomon, when he uh, builds the first temple uh, in Jerusalem, he consecrates the building. Nehemiah 1, there's a prayer and a consecration that goes on. And then you move through the kings and the priests and the prophets. They have a time of consecration and reconsecration. And in New Testament, there's a constant call to say, consecrate yourselves. But I love this Joshua moment that it talks about, that was read a bit earlier by Graham. Remember that? Right at the beginning of, of the time when the people of Israel have come in uh, to the, the moment where they could go into the promised land. And Joshua's taking them, if you like, out of the wilderness into the next stage, the next season. And he comes out with this amazing phrase. He's gathered them together. And interesting enough, there's the Ark of the, the Covenant there, which is like the, the, the holy place. And they, they, they've got to stay about like, uh, was it, 2,000 cubits, which is about 3,000 meters away. They're not to come too close. And there's, uh, there's a, a brilliant story about someone who does come too close and gets wiped out. But the fact is, is the recognition that God is a holy God. And his holiness, as we, we come to him, and they're coming to him, they're preparing to go. And they're probably thinking, right, we've got the program. We've got the logistics. We've got everything set up. We know how we're going to provide the food chain. All that stuff is all in place. You can imagine the logistics guys all getting sorted and saying, when are we going to go? When are we going to go? Surely we need to do stuff. And I know my, for myself, I plan the term. This week, I plan the term. I put all the dates in for the term and all this stuff. And the danger is I can have it all planned. But well, where is God? And it's like Joshua at this moment says, we've got it all planned. We're ready to go into the promised land. It's going to be challenging. What do I want you to do? He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. God is going to do amazing things. Isn't that a bit of a stopgap like thing saying, Oi, consecrate yourself. And there's a challenge about that, isn't that? What does that mean? And what does it mean to consecrate ourselves? What it means is to get ourselves right to rededicate ourselves on a regular basis, to recognize where we fit in God's plan for us. Rather than I know myself, I'll say, well, I've got a lot of good ideas, but are they good ideas? You know, actually, am I prepared to really stop and just say, Lord, I give myself afresh to you? It might just be a one-minute moment. It might just be a time, actually, when we, we start to discipline ourselves afresh and say, I'm going to give a 5, 10, 15, 20-minute time to rededicate myself, to reconsecrate myself. For God is going to do amazing things. And he's challenging us because God is so gracious. You know what's amazing? I can screw up and mess up so much in my life. But every morning he says, let's come back together again. And I can reconsecrate myself to this gracious God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That's, that's the whole point of the cross. That's why we're blessed 
so much. It's a serious invitation to us. And I just want to submit these points to you, I suppose, in the question about what is consecration. Firstly, what does consecration require? Firstly, and we pick up on this in Romans 6, a lifestyle change. You see, when we accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, we died. We died. The whole point of the baptisms, we're having some adult baptisms in a couple of weeks' time, is that we say we died to our old life and we live again. And God is calling us to die. To die to our old ways of living. To die to sin in our lives. As it says in verse 6, we know our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And therefore it means what we do, we don't operate like slaves to sin anymore. We live a free life. So firstly, consecration says, I choose to die that you might live in and through me. Lord Jesus. I'm no longer to be held back by sin. You know, quite often people, when you challenge them or maybe pick up on things in their lives, they say, yeah, but that's just the way I am. Well, actually, I don't think that is the place we should be as Christians. Just to say it's the way I am, it's the way I was brought up. I mean, Jesus has come to transform us. Not to become dependent upon the way we were brought up or our, our, our influences. I'm not denying the fact that they influence who we are. But ultimately, just to say, well, that's just the way I am. Surely in Christ, he has transformed us and he changes us. So he calls us to a lifestyle shift. That sin would no longer be our master. You are now under grace. Secondly, what it means is it requires complete and utter abandonment. And that is hard in a culture where basically we're okay. We have the stuff to live through life, to get through life. Particularly in our Western culture, there's that sense of just we have enough. And I'll have a bit of Jesus on the side. That'd be quite useful. Pull him out from time to time just to help me out when things are really difficult. But that's the challenge. It's about complete and utter abandonment. Right at the beginning of the passage, you know about the wise man and the... the, 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 the um, Foolish men, you know, what they, they built their, their, their lives on. Was it on sand or was it on rock? And it says this, the first thing Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Many of us, if we're honest, we say, yes, Lord Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, but not in that area or not in this area. You know, there's certain areas I just don't want you to go into. He's saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He's calling us to complete abandonment of everything in our lives. It should be uncomfortable, this, guys. I do apologize. Well, I don't really. Because actually, that's what we're about, aren't we? This is a time of saying, Lord, Lord. We're trying to be obedient to the Jesus who's called us. What will consecration bring? You see, I honestly believe the times when I, in my own life, have said, Lord, here I am. And sometimes I've had to... Um, give God stuff, which frankly I haven't wanted to give to him. There's been moments when in relational stuff, whatever, I'd say, Lord, I just don't want to do that, but I'll do it, Lord, for you. Or there's areas where I've had to trust him, where I've thought, no, 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 I want to sort this out, and I've had to give it to him. And as I've abandoned it to him, the most bizarre thing happens, that actually as I've done that, and, and, and people have looked and thought, this is crazy, why is this person doing this thing? It's totally countercultural and weird. What happens? It says, inner peace and strength come. 
You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. There's something crazily weird about this abandoning and consecrating ourselves to God that again brings real peace and strength. Enables us to do the most incredible things for God. What will it bring? What will bring those things? And finally, how is consecration modelled? If you like, how do we work this out in practice? Well, firstly, I really believe those that are living a consecrated life, this will be the mark of who they are. Firstly, they have a willingness to serve. There's just something about those that have given their lives over to Jesus fully. They're saying, I just can't wait to serve. I just can't wait to be there to serve. You know, I can't wait to be in that place. It's like they've, they've made a decision they're called to serve. I'm not saying it's called just serving in church and all that stuff. It's about their heart, their heart way is servant-hearted. And you feel that and you know that. As it says here, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. There's just a heart of servanthood. And you know it, you feel it, don't you? You hear it, you sense it. Secondly, it means a willingness to sacrifice. Romans 12, 1, as you know, it says, it talks about uh, our, our worship uh, being, being like a sacrifice. I give my life as a sacrifice. There's an element where we are sacrificial in our heart for him. And we give ourselves fully to him, prepared to sacrifice. If you like to place our lives on the altar. One of the, the interesting things when I've just been reading through Ezra, right at the beginning, before they built the foundation of the temple, what does he build above anything else? He doesn't build the walls. He doesn't build the gardens. He doesn't build the nice parapets. What does he do? He builds an altar. He just puts an altar. In fact, it says they just plonked an altar even before they built the foundations. And the reason they did that was, again, they were consecrating themselves and saying, God is the first person in all of this. And I'm willing to wait to him, for him to do what he needs to do in and through me. I hand it to you. Because finally, there's a willingness to share. You know, the consecrated life is the most generous uh, of people. It's the most generous of people. It doesn't mean that they have lots of money necessarily. It's just they've got a generosity of heart. They can't wait to share. It's a generous life. Acts 20, 35. I will ask for a, a, a heart like that. Paul says, in everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work. We must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Christ said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So what does a consecrated life mean for us? I think it means... These things, what does it require? Now, uh, I love books. And actually, it's interesting. I recently had a sort of mid-year review. And I put a review thing out to, you might have do this in, in your workplace. And uh, we do it as well. And I had to put a review out to a number of people in the congregation. They have to review me. All right. And uh, someone wrote in this particular this review, they said, I think, Andy, you should read more books by dead people. Okay. Uh, which is... <laughs> Well, they mean is some older books, you know. Obviously, they got tired of my modern quotes or whatever. I don't know, but they felt I should read some book by some dead people, uh, some some uh, some uh, some people. So, anyhow, I, was, I, I just came across an old book here, which is um, which I, I discovered in my my uh, small library of stuff, and it's the life of Dwight Lyman Moody uh, by his son. All right, so it's about 120 years old, probably this book, and. Uh, Anyhow, so I started reading that, but I also came across another one, uh, which I found actually at the Melbourne uh, 
mission hospital because I went there to visit them to find out about Pennyfather. And um, they gave me this, Addresses of D.R. Moody. So I've been reading some of this each day, really old book. They smell old, you know, they're great. Anyhow, in this book, it's fantastic uh, as it talks about his life. And it's, what you realise is D.L. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists of the, the, the 19th century. Um, sort of precursor to, to Billy Graham, really. He was just an ordinary guy from backwaters outside Boston. Uh, ended up sort of re- virtually running away from home, went into Boston, and then went to Chicago and became a shoe salesman. He was a very good shoe salesman. And from that, he started doing Sunday schools. And as a result of that, uh, many, many young people became uh, followers of Jesus. And in time, he became this evangelist who traveled uh, particularly over to this country. Now, he was not educated, but he had an incredible passion for souls. In the summer of 1872, it talks in here about he came across here to meet with certain people to find out whether it was right to come to this country, including a certain William Pennefather, who he heard speak in 1872 and said, I can't remember a word that he preached. But there was a holiness on him, which was the most amazing holiness. Uh, it's quoted in this book. But, you know, um, uh, st- he was struck by those things. But I just love reading these addresses. But once he was talking to a guy called Henry Varley, who said to him, you know, DL, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man fully consecrated to him. Moody thought about it. The world has yet to see what God will do with one man, any man doesn't have to be a great education any man fully consecrated to him that is the condition for God to truly use anyone by the grace of God I'll be that man I'll be that person I think God is calling us as we begin a a new season this next year is going to be a crucial time for this church I believe it's going to be a crucial time for the wider church in where it's seeking to go. We are called to be fully consecrated. And my question would be to every single one of us, including myself, what is holding us back? In fact, let's just be quiet for a moment. The God who made the world is calling to you today. The God who sent Jesus who has blessed us in so many ways, is calling to us. I believe he's calling us to re-consecrate ourselves to him. But what is holding us back? Just ask the Holy Spirit, what is holding us back from giving ourselves fully to him? What is that thing that holds us back? time is it unworthiness is that can't really be bothered whatever it might be what is God calling us to are we all in have we counted the cost are we able to say by the grace of God I'll be that person